only uh, be here with you again this evening, but to have the students here. Aubrey, I appreciated your testimony. It was wonderful. I never knew that testimonies didn't have to be boring. <laughs> have you ever have you ever done this? Have you ever uh, been been driving along and you pulled up to a stoplight and you look and you're you're stopped there at the stoplight and you and you look at the car next to you and it's somebody that you know and it's one of those deals where you drive up and you hit the brake and you stop and you and you start honking the horn you know and you roll down the window and trying to get their attention like and then when you roll down the window and they roll down their window and you think I'm not even sure what I'm supposed to say hey how are you you know and let me tell you what happened. I'm, I'm, I was shopping at Meyer and, and, and I was pulling out of the Meyer parking lot and I'm waiting for the light and traffic is going by. And there goes our conversion van. Remember when everybody had a conversion van? When we were raising our boys, we had a conversion van, gray with a, kind of a red and gray stripe along the side. There goes our conversion van by me. Judy is, my wife Judy is driving the conversion van right through the, the green light, and I'm stopped at Meyer, and whoa, and, 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 and so I thought, as soon as the light turns, I'm going to turn and get behind her and let her know that it's me, and I'm thinking, this is, oh, this is going to be great. It takes very little to entertain me, and I'm just, I just think, this will be so much fun. And so I, I, you know, I'm, I'm pulling up, there was a car between us, and so I had to pass that car, and I'm pulling up behind her, and I'm, I'm getting really, really close, you know, and then backing off, and, and swerving back and forth, and trying to get her attention, and honking my horn at her, you know, and two things occurred that caused me to realize that was not Judy. The first thing was this big, burly guy rolls down the window and signals me <laughs> in a way I don't ever remember my wife Judy signaling me. He rolls down the window of the van and indicates, you know what, my, we're number one. My team's number one or something. <laughs> now, did I tell you that there were two things that caused me to realize that was not Judy driving our van? I'm embarrassed to tell you this one. The second reason why I knew it was not her, and you can't tell anybody. Please don't tell anybody. It's embarrassing. I was driving our van. Uh, what? I was driving our van. You know, all of us, all of us kind of, it's a, every time it, there, it's occasionally it's just a swing and a miss. Just because you're on third base doesn't mean you've hit a triple. See, I, I, I just, we're going to be looking at a text tonight about a, a person, a woman who was, um, kind of a, just a failure, just a swing and a miss. A person just kind of like you and me. Pull out your note outline. 
remember before cross, and I've got to do this. I'm trying to do this somewhat sequentially, and uh, and uh, but it's difficult because the book of Joshua is kind of interrupted. You got the spy report, and then you got Jericho, and then you got the story of Rahab after the after Jericho. And so, let me back up. Last night we crossed the the Jordan, but tonight. Uh, before crossing the Jordan, they sent spies into the land. Remember? I mean, everybody's trying to survive the circumcision episode at Gilgal. They're sending spies into the land. Let's pick up the story, Joshua chapter 2, you follow along. Take your pen because you'll interact, interact with the text as I suggest. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. Isn't it interesting how the intelligence service within Jericho knew the spies were there? There's just an interesting sidelight. The king of Jericho immediately knew. Accent, appearance, we don't know. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, quote, Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. And at dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. And I, I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You, you may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax that she had laid out on the roof. So the men, watch this, so the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. Once again, see, no bridge, it's fords. So now out of Jericho, they're heading east towards the river. Opposite direction, I'll show you this tomorrow night because eventually when the, when the spies escape out the window, they will head West, and I'll show you geographically how that works tomorrow night and why they did that. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies, and the road leads to the ford of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. But the spies lay down for the night, and she went up on the roof and said to them, circle the phrase, I know. I know that what? The Lord has given this land to you, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are, and once again, Hebrew idiom, are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. This would have been a 40-year-ago miracle. And when you came out of Egypt, and, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two king of the Amorites, east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed, and when we heard of it, second time the idioms used, our hearts melted, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and earth below. First time anybody ever gives a testimony in the Bible. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you, pro bono. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother and my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. Another Hebrew idiom. 
our, our lives for your lives. It does not translate well into English. Tit for tat, kind of. Our lives for your lives. The men assured her, if you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us this land. Now, first of all, I'd like to share briefly, give you just a little historical background, because the first thing that, that troubles all of us is this business of the lie. Because, by the way, she shows up in the Hebrews 11, the Hebrews of faith. How can you do that? She's a liar. She lies. Or is lying justified? Is it occasionally okay to lie? Well, let me help you with that. Look at your note outline. Jot some things down. Jesse, here we go, buddy. Number one. Number one, concerning the, the, the lie of Rahab, it, was a, it wasn't an accident. It was a purposeful deception. The, the guys are not here. They went that away. It was a bold-faced lie. Well, first of all, lying is a sin. Amen? I mean, it's never right to lie. There is never an occasion to lie. I'll, I'll unpack that a little bit more in just a moment. Except when my wife Judy asked me, do I look fat in these jeans? No, no, you don't, see? It's never, it's never right to lie. There's never justification. Number two, Jesse, here we go. Rahab was never commended for her lie, but for her faith. You have to understand, yes, she told a lie. That is not why she was cited. It's, not, it, it's called, uh, the Hebrews 11 is the Hall of Fame of Faith. And all of these people had weaknesses. But she was commended for her faith. James 2, the scripture was fulfilled. Do I have this printed for you in your outline, by the way? Okay. That says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does, not by faith alone. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did. By faith, she hid the spies. That's what she was affirmed for. Hebrews 11.31 By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed. And so, lying is wrong. She was not commended for her lie, but for her faith. And so your immediate question becomes, well, then why did she lie? Well, let me ask you another question. Why do you lie? See? I mean, we all lie at points. That doesn't make it right. It's never justified. Number three, and I think this is extremely helpful as well. You got to cut her a break. Rahab was a young believer. This is not a mature believer. She was a believer, maybe even on that day. For I know that, that the God that you serve is God in heaven above and on earth below. She, she, her theology is impeccable. Remember, by the way, she's Canaanite. She is not Jewish. Maybe, I'm not sure, i got to double check on this. Some of you may want to Google this. She may be the first non-Jewish person in the Old Testament who was saved. Can you think of anybody else who would have been saved as an, a non-Jew? Ruth, that would have happened later. See? Because Rahab 
was the mother of Boaz, who married Ruth. So you've got to understand, this is a young believer. She is not perfect. She, she is going to make mistakes. Certainly, she is a pagan woman from a pagan culture. All she has known is idol worship. I am not justifying her lie. What I'm simply saying is, at some, at some points, we have to cut her a little bit of a break. God did not say, boy, she was right to lie. That does not give us a reason or justification for lying. And what you'll do, you'll set up straw man and say, well, yeah, but what happens in this situation? Some of you remember the, the book, The Hiding Place, written by Corey Ten Boom. Remember? That kind of dates this, doesn't it? And she was in the, in the Holocaust, and she was over in Europe, in, in Holland, and her parents, she and her parents hid Jews from the Nazis. And, she's, and they had inside their home, underneath the kitchen table, they could pull the table away where there's a rug. They would roll up the rug, and underneath the rug were these planks that would come out, and they would hide Jews in there from the Nazis. That's where it gets the title, The Hiding Place. And I'll never forget this. Because the Nazis boom, 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 knocked on the door and they asked her father, Casper, watch, are you hiding Jews in this home? His response, anybody is welcome in our home. They walked into the house and they walked up to him and said, we are going to ask you again. Where are the Jews? His response under the kitchen table. They took the butt of the rifle and they hit him in the face and knocked him unconscious. Yeah, but if he had if he had told them exactly where the where the uh, Jews were, the Nazis would have killed, maybe. Maybe not. God does not need your help by lying. You tell the truth. You do the right thing. And he will honor that. And I was just so impressed by the response of that. Number four. By his grace... And thank you to Randy and Marley for singing of that tonight. Once again, it's one of those things I'm just sitting there. I can't believe these songs you're singing. By his grace, watch, God not only saved Rahab, by his grace he used Rahab. Isn't that good to know? Huh? Isn't that good to know that God uses imperfect people? In the morning sessions, we've talked about Jacob's son, complete scoundrel. And those of you who are in my seminar, I mean, he's horrible. He's a liar. He was a thief. He was a con man. He was a swindler. He grabbed and, and took and used people and abused people. And, and he was just awful. And then at the end of the teaching, I said this, of all the names for God, and you've done studies on the names of God, of all the names of God, do you know what, 
what name God calls himself more than any other name in the Bible? And the answer is this, I am the God of Jacob. Dude, I, I mean, I think I would have said I'm the God of Moses. Or I'm the God of Elijah. I'm the God of Jacob? How See, how you think so differently than God thinks. The Bible says that God is not ashamed to call you friends because of grace. I was out jogging a number of years ago, and we, we had kitties, or we had cats, and we had one, her name was Misty, and, and she was pregnant, and we were looking forward to um, having, you know, at our boys, uh, they were, our three sons were home at that time, and, and so Misty, Misty is going to have kitties. And I remember being out jogging once, um, and I see Misty um, on, on the road. We lived out in a rural area, and I see her on the road, and she's been hit by a car. And I called Judy. I got, I got to my office, and I called Judy. I said, I got bad news for you. I said, don't tell the boys. I'll, we'll have to figure out how to tell them when I get home. But I said, um, Miss, Misty's dead. Misty's not around. And, and Judy goes, oh, they're going to be so disappointed. I said, I know. I said, it's really hard. And, and she calls me back about an hour later, and she goes, I, I'm not sure how to tell you this. I, I hear mewing coming from under the deck. Mewing. And she goes, it's so, it's so dark under the deck, I can't see. But I think there's a kitten under the deck. I said, okay, well, see if you can coax it out. All right, just a second. All right, I'll, I'll try. Come here. Come here. I'm not going to hurt you. Come here. She goes, I, I got it. Good. She goes, there's more mewing. All right. Um, she goes, Joel, it's really, really little. It's just been just born. There's more mewing? Yeah. And I said, well, okay, get that one out. She goes, no, 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 not get that one out. Get those out. There are six of them. She goes, oh, honey, their, their eyes aren't open. What, what are, they're afraid? They're crying, they're hungry. What are we going to do? I said, I'll handle this. So I called Petco. Well, the first thing I did, I, stupid. I mean, I called the zoo. <laughs> Hi. Do, do you take cat, kittens? No. Like maybe to feed to a snake or something. No. So I called Petco. I said, look, I don't know what to do. We have got these newborn kittens. The mother has perished. We've got newborn kittens. I said, they're hungry. I said, do you have any idea? She goes, do not give it milk. Oh. What do I do? She goes, you need to come over here right now. All right. And so I, I drive over to Petco, and I walk in, and she goes, okay, 
This is what you're going to do. I've got formula packets. Formula? Like kitten formula? Yes. Well, what, 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 do I, what do I do with this? Well, if there's instructions on it. It's powder. You mix it with water, and it'll tell you how to do it, and so you mix up formula, all right? Then, then what? I mean, like, well, you have to have this special syringe. All right, and so I put the I put the formula in the syringe. Yes, you have to feed them with the formula in the syringe. All right. Is there anything else? Yes. Well, like what? What else do I do? Well, you have to stimulate them so they urinate. All right. The mother cat licks their bottom, and that makes them go to the bathroom. Ma'am, I don't think I can do that. I... Well, then, no, 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 I, that's not what I meant. What you're going to need to do, we have this, we have this special uh, steroid here that, that you put, and then what you need to do is that you need to get these, these wet ones out, and, and what you do, you take this steroid. I'll show you. She goes, you put, the, oops, you put the steroid on here like this, and then, and then you just gent gently massage. Is there anything else? <laughs> You're going to have to do this three times a day. Three times a day? Yes. All right. So three times a day, we get these little newborn kittens whose eyes have not opened. And while Judy is with the syringe and the formula, ministering to one end of the kitten. <laughs> I am ministering to the other end of the kitten. And I tell you what, they were fearful and they were scared and they'd scratch and they'd mew. And I mean, you just, you're... I, I couldn't even concentrate when I went to the office. I was concerned. I would call Judy and how are they doing? And they're in the box and and now they're now they're starting to scratch and now they're playing and and now the box is too small and they're starting to crawl out and and they don't have a mom, but but they're ours. They belong to us, and so we've got we're their only hope. We got to take care of these little things and. They were completely abandoned with no hope. They would perish. And Judy and I, out of love and consideration, reached out to them and literally saved them. One of them, the run of the litter, we called Peg Leg. It had a little broken leg, and I took special care and consideration of him. 
and they grew up. And I shared this story at church. And I said, listen, um, you know what? This is a picture of God's grace. Because I too have been abandoned and without hope and lost and didn't know what to do and was in the dark and all I could do was mew. And God reached down to me and, and dealt with parts of me that were not pleasant. I shared that story and the lady comes up to me, her name was Mary King, and Mary comes up to me and she goes, I'd like to adopt a little kitten and I especially want the one with the broken leg. And I'm gonna name her Grace. Lest you think I'm making up the story, Jesse, go to the next screen. Guess which one's the one with the broken leg? Isn't it interesting how God in His grace, something He did not have to do, reaches down to us? while we were in darkness, in danger, in desperation. And, be, and even though we are dirty and filthy and it's unpleasant, he nurtures and nourishes us and feeds us simply because he chooses to place his love upon us. And you are seated here tonight thinking, you know what, Pastor Joel, you have no idea what I have done. And you're absolutely right. But let me tell you, I know what I've done. You're a candidate for grace, my friend. Next screen, please. Concerning the faith of Rahab. Rahab, the Bible says, heard and she chose to believe. Notice in verses 10 and 11, we have heard. You see that? Look at verse 11. We have heard. She heard the word. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. She heard the good news of grace. Next screen, please. She heard and believed. She believed and chose to act. She didn't just simply hear. She heard and believed. She didn't simply believe. She believed and then she acted. July 26, 1971 or 1972, as I told this the other night that I... Kent Fischel led my brother Dave, my, my sister Amy, who was here tonight. She was the first in our family to come to Christ. We had no idea what that meant, but I could tell her life was different. Several years later, my brother and I, Kent Fischel, leads us to the Lord. And then from then I went to, and listen to you, to me, young people, those of you who are teenagers and young adults, I went to a secular university, which was fine, and I got involved in a social fraternity. And there I partied and I chased women and I was dating the the uh, captain of the uh, one of the prettiest girls on campus, a campus of 18,000 people at Ball State University. Her name was Sharla. She was the, the captain of the tennis team. And I was dating Sharla, and I was involved in this, this fraternity, and we were, going to, we were going to parties, and we were drinking and carrying on and all kinds of stuff that I don't care to remember. And, I was, and the whole time that was happening, tell me if you, if you can identify this, the whole time that was happening, there was this dull ache inside of my heart. Because I knew I had given my heart to Jesus, but I was living this double life. 
and I knew I was living this double life. And when you've got one foot in the Christian world and one foot in the secular world, and you're caught in between, that's a horrible place to be. That's a horrible place to be. Because every time I would do things that were wrong, and I was I dated three or four girls, and I'm dating Sharla, and I mean I'm you know I'm wearing I I, I pledge the fraternity Alpha Tau Omega, and, and my big brother they called him, and he comes over and he gives me gives me the fraternity jacket. Now I've got ATO, and now I'm walking down the down Riverside Boulevard in McKinley there at Ball State University in Muncie, Indiana, and I'm wearing an ATO jacket. I tell you what, sorority girls are going by and and they're smiling at me, and I was totally miserable. Because I knew that I knew that I knew that I was, I was a believer, but I'm, I'm living this double life. It's awful. And then Ken Fischel says, I want you to come to Bayshore Camp this summer. After your freshman year, I want you to come to Bayshore Camp as a counselor. And so I came to Bayshore Camp as a counselor, as a fraternity guy. My motives weren't right, but I came and, it, and I, I was a little bit afraid because I knew that I would be sitting in a tabernacle or a tent like this. And I'd be hearing these messages, and, and in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, oh, man. And so I tried to shut it out, and I tried to ignore it, because I, I knew what the right thing was to do. And as I shared the other evening, an evangelist up here by the name of Jimmy Lentz, and, and he preached, and he shared, and I just, I, I was broken. I was, I was pierced in my heart. And that night, I said to Ken, I came forward, and that night, as a counselor, I come forward. I'd already given my, life, my heart to the Lord, but I said, I am going to make a lordship commitment tonight. I don't want to live like this anymore. I'm going to make a lordship commitment. I'm going to drive the stake into the ground tonight. And I did that at Bayshore Camp. But I got a problem. I heard and I believed, but then I believed and I needed to act. So now I got to go back to Ball State. And man, I was sweating that. Because here I am dating a non-Christian girl. I knew it was not the right kind of relationship. I, we were doing some things that were not right. And I knew I had to break up with her. And I knew I had to deactivate the fraternity. And so that within the first week of being uh, my sophomore year, being back at Ball State, we all the ATOs, all Alpha Tau Omega, we all got together. And I remember, never, never forget this. Rick Davis stands up and he starts making announcements. And we're going to get with the Alpha Kai's next weekend, and and, and we're going to do be with the Lambdas, and we're going to we're going to have a party, and we're going to have a kegger, and we're going to do this and that, and everybody's cheering. And there's probably thirty guys in the room, or maybe more. And at the end, Davis goes, "Does anybody else have an announcement to make?" And I said, yeah, Rick, I do. And I tell you what, I stood up in front of those fraternity guys, and I said, guys, I, I was the president of my pledge class. I said, guys, I just want you to know, this last summer I committed my life to Jesus Christ. And I cannot continue living the kind of life that I've lived in front of you guys. I need to apologize because I'm a Christian. I haven't been living like one. And I, I, can't, I can't do that, guys, as a part. I mean, I love you guys, but I can't do it as a part of this fraternity. And so as of tonight, I'm deactivating the fraternity. And I sat down, and it was about as quiet as it is right now. Rick Davis, Davis stands up and goes, does anybody else have an announcement? 
They filed out and not one person spoke to me. The next day, my big brother, named Perk, Tom Perkins, and Perk calls me and he goes, I'm going to come over and get my fraternity jacket. All right. I'd be walking down McKinley Boulevard on the way to class, and here come my fraternity brothers. They would start walking towards me, and they'd cross the street, and they'd walk on the other side. Broke off my relationship with Sharla. Started looking around. My sister Amy had been, she was a Christian, and her husband, Dick, who's sitting next to her over there, became my college roommate at a place called the Campus House, a campus ministry. I started going to the Campus House. I'd make all new friends. All new friends. Quit the fraternity, broke off the relationship, went to a Bible study, and there was this cute little blonde or brown, brown-haired, blue-eyed girl, and her name was Judy. And I sat down next to her and said, Hi, I'm Joel. What's your name? I'm Judy. Next year, we will be married 46 years. The reason I'm telling you this tonight, and there's a person here tonight or persons who know exactly what I'm going to say to you. There is someone here tonight who knows the right thing to do. I'm not saying you're not a Christian. You may be but you're not living the life the right way. You're in, you're in an, a wrongful relationship. You've got some friends and you're doing some things you've got no business doing and you know it. And as you're seated there tonight, listening to my voice, you're thinking to myself, I've got to start looking at my phone because I, I know what he's going to say next. Because tonight, what I am going to ask you in just a moment, and you know the right thing to do, When Randy and Marley come in just a moment and where they're going to sing that song, Take My Life and Let It Be, I'm going to ask you to do something really hard. I'm going to ask you to stand up and we'll come forward. Just like I did at Brayshore 45 years ago. As a 20-year-old, I have never regretted that decision. Because... Number three, when she acted, God used her. She not only ends up in the hall of fame of faith, Hebrews 11, Daniel never made it. Joseph never, uh, Elijah never made it. Elisha never made it. Samuel never made it. You know who makes the hall of fame of faith? Wonderful people like Samson and Rahab the harlot. How would you like that name? Rahab the harlot. And as a result of the decision I made that night, God has been able to use me as a pastor, as a speaker, as an author, all over the world. And tonight, you know what? You can do this. You need to do this. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet right now.
Randy, let's go ahead and if we can get the Jess, uh, the, uh, the song up. We're going to sing three stanzas and then we're going to be done. When you come forward, some of you are in, in a relationship. Some of you need to put the relationship with your spouse on the altar tonight. Some of you need to break off a relationship tonight. Some of you need to go back. When you go back from camp and you say, oh, it isn't a great at camp, you need to go back and you need to change some things. And I'm telling you what, if you can't take a stand here, how will you ever take a stand back home? There's something about putting one foot in front of the other and taking steps towards health. And I'm going to ask you to do that. And in addition, when you come up front, I want you to be at least hand, hand lengths apart. Will you do that? We're going to start to sing. And I want you to show some spiritual guts and step forward and come right down here.